Open your Bibles with me this morning to Psalm 100. Psalm 100. A precious psalm indeed, one we know well, one we love well, and one that has been sung more and used to worship God more than any other psalm for, for thousands of years. I say 2,000 years because it is fulfilled most perfectly in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our objective this morning is simple. We want to praise our blessed God and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That is a simple goal, and it's a delightful goal. Mm -hmm. I preached to you last Lord's Day about delighting in the Lord. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 37, 4, Delight thyself also in him, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. It is one level of a Christian's life to believe, because the previous verse said, trust in the Lord. And it's another level of a Christian's life to obey, because the previous verse said, and do good. But that fourth verse of Psalm 37 said, to delight thyself also in the Lord. In addition to believing and obeying, we ought to delight in him. And we looked at what that meant last Lord's Day. We have just passed our nation's Thanksgiving Day, in which our nation sets aside one day, most of whom our fellow citizens have forgotten the purpose of the day. But we want to thank the blessed God who has chosen us, loved us, protected us, blessed us, and sent his Son to be the Savior of us. We want to worship him this morning. I had prepared something entirely different for you until yesterday, and in meditating upon Psalm 100, this is all I want to give you, is Psalm 100. Let us rise together and read this psalm in unison, and then we're going to sing it from number one in your hymnals. But first, let's read the precious word of God in unison. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Amen. Amen. Our brother will now lead us in singing this song. Hymn number one. All people that
the churches in our city that want to have their casual and contemporary worship, and let them have it. Right. Give me Psalm 100. Amen. That psalm has been sung for 500 years just that way. English long meter to convert the words of a Hebrew meter to English singing. 500 years men have sung those words from Psalm 100 to enter into God's courts and, and into his gates with praise and thanksgiving. And may the Lord bless us to worship him this morning and may he receive our singing of it. Amen. I want to go phrase by phrase through Psalm 100. My brother who is with us this morning from Michigan tells me that 40 years ago when he lived in this county, this was required memorization work for public school students when it came Thanksgiving time. Things have changed, haven't they, in 40 years. They accuse us of being radical. We are holding that old time religion of worshiping God with his psalms. They have changed. We are standing in the same place where our forefathers stood, those true saints that worship God with praise and thanksgiving as the Bible dictates. We sing this morning a cappella without accompaniment because in the New Testament they sang a cappella without accompaniment. We have no rock band. We have no rap artists. We do not chant, nor do we hum. We sing by articulating words with a melodic sound to bless the Lord our God because that's what he's commanded us to do. Amen. Join with me as we go through Psalm 100 and I show you the sense of these phrases. Please enjoy this. Please rejoice in the blessed privilege we just had and we shall have when we conclude to sing this psalm to him again. It is a privilege to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. A wise man would say, I would rather be a doorkeeper. Where those gates and courts are, where the Lord's presence is, than to dwell anywhere else on planet Earth. And I hope that's your heart this morning. That you'd rather be a doorkeeper here than to be living anywhere else and doing anything else. Make a joyful noise. Make a joyful noise. In English, all verbs have three moods. The mood of a verb is either the indicative mood, which tells you that that verb is simply declaring a fact, or there's a subjunctive mood, which is expressing a desire or a wish. Then there is the imperative mood, which is stating a command. All verbs in English are one of those three moods. This verb, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, is the imperative mood. This is a command from the Most High God. I am thankful that I have in my hands and that you have in your hands to check me a handbook from heaven, a manual from our master, the Most High God, telling us how to worship him. And he starts out this psalm by saying, make a joyful noise. It's not enough to be joyful. I am sure that if I did it 
in front of all of you, and I were to go around this assembly and ask each one of you, are you joyful this morning? All but the very impenitent and rude would say, yes, I'm joyful. But notice it doesn't say be joyful. It says make a joyful noise. And that is what we just did. Because God gave us these tongues, this muscle that lies within our mouths to make noise. He calls this thing we call a tongue our glory. Because by it we're able to give glory to him. And so we use it in the assembly of the saints. Make a joyful noise. It's not enough to be joyful. We want to make a joyful noise. Now here joyful is an adjective describing noise. So we want to be singing songs that are joyful and that have a joyful tune and that are uplifting. Now there are times for solemn assemblies and that's a different kind of an assembly. And then we can sing our funeral dirges and we can sing our somber minors. But when we come in the spirit of Psalm 100, we don't come with such singing. We make a joyful noise, and there is a difference. I hope that you loved singing, Rejoice, the Lord is King. I hope that you loved singing, Arise, my soul, arise. You know, some of those minors are are more like, Get down and grovel. Oh, soul, get down and grovel. And there is a time and a place for that, but not in Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I do do know that Miriam and David did not dance in their worship of God to a minor tune, nor to a funeral dirge. They were moving, and they were moving with all their might, according to the word of God. And so we want to lift up the Lord God, with a joyful noise. Joy is a godly trait of the righteous. The righteous are joyful people. They have a live, what does it mean to be joyful? It means to have a lively sense of pleasure or satisfaction in something. To be elated with gladness. To be delighted. They find joy in the Lord himself. They find joy in their salvation. They find joy in his word. In his church, they find joy in his manifold blessings of providence in our daily lives. They find joy everywhere, because everywhere we look, the Lord is good, as we shall see in the fifth verse. If we were to go through the book of Psalms, and my outline tells me to, but I do not want to distract you from Psalm 100. If we were to go through the book of Psalms, do you think we could find another reference or two that tells us to worship God with joy? Maybe a couple, maybe a couple dozen, maybe a couple hundred in the Psalms because David was a man that delighted in the Lord and he knew how to make a joyful noise. Whenever you think about David, do not always think about Goliath tumbling to the earth from his height of nine feet and nine inches because David smote him with a stone in his forehead. I want you to think about David writing the poetry of the book of Psalms and inventing the musical instruments to accompany the singing of those psalms and appointing men and singers and players of instruments to worship the Lord God. That was David. You know, they have a title now for an office in most churches called the praise leader. Well, I'll tell you who the praise leader was in the word of God, and it was David. He was the praise leader. 
We have no such office in the New Testament because we don't need players on musical instruments and we don't need anyone directing them. All we need is a congregation that loves the Lord and they can lift up their voices a cappella and bless his holy name. Amen. And we can make a joyful noise unto the Lord with our very vocal cords, our lips and our tongue, rather than some big ugly box called a piano or an organ that has no life in it nor understanding and its noise has nothing to do with worshiping God under the new covenant. Right. Under the new covenant it is from our heart. It is a religion of the spirit and it is the, it's the melody that flows from our heart that is pleasing to God, not the melody from taunt strings. And we all understand that. Make a joyful noise. That's a command. We know what God wants to be pleased when we come together. He wants us to make a joyful noise unto him. And then it says, unto the Lord. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. We are not worshiping just any being this morning. Right. We are worshiping the Lord. And I have taught you and I have reminded you that our precious King James Bibles, when they have that word Lord, fully capitalized as it is in your Bibles. That stands for the Hebrew sacred tetragrammaton YHVH translated into English in its consonants meaning I am that I am. This is our God. The Lord is the Lord Jehovah. Jehovah is simply a European pronunciation of that Hebrew tetragrammaton. We stuck in some vowels from his other names in Hebrew, A from Adonai and E from Elohim, and we end up with Jehovah. That is the origin of that word in our language. It was so sacred to the Hebrews that they would not write it. They would just write the consonants representing I am that I am. Our English translators, by the providence of God, put for us wherever that sacred tetragrammaton was, LORD in all caps. You only have the word Jehovah about four times in the whole Bible. Here we have LORD, and I want you to know what it is. We are worshiping Jehovah this morning. We are worshiping the being that appeared to Moses in a burning bush and said, you tell the Israelites, I am that I am sent you. Because Moses had asked, who shall I say sent me? Abraham never knew God as Jehovah. If you go back before Moses, if you go into the book of Genesis and you find the words L-O-R-D capitalized, it's only because Moses wrote the book of Genesis. It's not because Abraham knew him that way. God specifically tells us in Exodus chapter 6 that Abraham knew him only as the Almighty God. Amen. That he, had, he has revealed himself progressively through human history, so that we know him the best, because we see the complete record that he's given of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is Jehovah, brethren. Amen. You know, we, we are the witnesses of Jehovah, because we are the witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. They can say whatever they will. We worship the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the mighty God, and he is the everlasting Father himself, Amen. because we worship the Lord Jesus Christ who has the fullness of the Godhead in him bodily. They can call themselves whatever they wish, but we are the true witnesses of Jehovah and his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever wonder about that name. 
They think they've exalted some name in calling themselves Jehovah's Witnesses, but we are the true witnesses of Jehovah because Jehovah has been manifest in the flesh. They are just too ignorant to know that because great is the mystery of godliness Amen. and that, that mystery is too great for them to see, but we see it by the blessing of the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. So when it says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, we are talking about the Jehovah that created the heavens and the earth. Jehovah God that met Moses. Jehovah God that became flesh and dwelt among us, the Lord Jesus Christ. This phrase here does not tell us to make a joyful noise about the Lord. It tells us to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Amen. You just sang unto the Lord. Now I know that the men in this church appreciate it when I tell their wives that they ought to submit to their husbands as unto the Lord, because that's what the Bible says. And all the husbands get excited thinking, if my wife would submit to me as unto the Lord, I would have a precious wife. But forget all that this morning. Did you make a joyful noise as unto the Lord? Did you do it unto him? He is worthy of every decibel of power you can generate out of your diaphragm. Amen. He is worthy of all the joy and gladness and excitement and fervor that you can muster from your heart. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. We do it about the Lord, but even when we're doing it about the Lord, we're doing it unto the Lord. But I don't want you to be distracted. I want you to see exactly what the psalmist told us, to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. He heard, he saw, he's here, he witnessed what we just did to him in our singing. Don't ever forget that. It's a precious, blessed opportunity. And I hope that the excitement of our souls comes forth in our singing. Amen. I hope that all of you know that, you know, that we've got 130,000 troops or so left in Iraq. But on Thanksgiving at noon... Our president, who is the commander-in-chief of everyone who serves in every branch of our military, darkening all the lights of Air Force One, landed in the cover of darkness in Baghdad International Airport and surprised 600 troops who were having Thanksgiving dinner in a makeshift dining hall there. And I want to tell you from what I've been able to read about that precious statement of his, and I don't care if he does get political mileage out of it. I'd vote for him for doing it. Amen. And so would a lot of other Americans. You can, you can criticize our president all you want, but you will answer for it in the day of judgment when the Lord Jesus Christ tells you that he appointed President George Bush to be our president and you dishonored him by your wicked, rebellious thoughts. I pray for everyone that doesn't listen to my voice on this matter, that your children rebel against you, that your wife rebels against you, that your employees rebel against you, that your customers rebel against you, and your life is a waste. You don't even know who you are. The Bible says you're nothing but a rabid dog that needs to be shot because you do not understand the things of importance that go on in the world. You sit back and think you're a Monday morning quarterback. You are nothing. You can't even figure out your own little life 
let alone the affairs of the greatest nation the world has. I am thankful for our president. I am thankful he burst from behind a curtain with the jacket of an airborne division on and said I was looking for a place to have a hot meal on Thanksgiving Day with his troops. I'm thankful he grabbed up a great big tray and served those soldiers. But I was blessed by the fact that the reporters that were chosen to be there saw those soldiers. They didn't keep their seats. They didn't keep their feet. They leaped up onto the chairs and up onto the tables to hoop and to holler because their commander in chief was there. And I'll tell you if at that moment in time, he'd have said to take on an army of 60,000, they would have done it, but 600 of them. Now, what I want to get from all of that story, which I don't tell very often, is this. We are in the presence this morning of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And the Bible says of him that he is the blessed and only potentate. He will, President George Bush will drop to his knees before our Lord Jesus Christ as fast as the lowest surf when we all appear before him. I want to tell you that the Lord Jesus Christ is presented in the word of God as sitting on a white horse, his vesture dipped in blood, a name on his vesture and on his thigh that says, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. You have never seen anything like the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful that those soldiers hooped and hollered for their president. But I pray that our souls will hoop and holler by making a joyful noise to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And who are we talking about when we say that? But the Lord Jehovah in flesh. I'll tell you in heaven, they're worshiping him. They're casting their crowns before him. And the angels and the saints are united together in singing his glorious praise. You can read about it in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. Our Lord Jesus Christ is greater by an infinite measure than any man you can even imagine. In his power, in his wisdom, and in his glory. So it says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. I'm thankful that it says, all ye lands. Brethren, if it didn't have that there, you'd be cut out. Because these words were penned for the people of Israel under the old covenant. But it says, all ye lands. Because in those little words is an indication that the Lord God was going to call a people out of the Gentiles for his name. Now, I don't want to turn very many times because I want you to remember Psalm 100, but I must turn you to Romans chapter 15 to show you that Jesus Christ is looking for this same kind of praise from us Gentiles. Romans chapter 15. I'm sorry that I don't have anything deeper for you this morning. I'm sorry that I'm not preaching what I had intended all week to preach to you, but I hope you're not too sorry. Because I want you to learn from Psalm 100 that the blessed God and our Lord Jesus Christ wants our praise. And we're going to give it to him today. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, receive our praise. And bless the pitiful lips that try to tell these people how they ought to praise thee. Thou art worthy of all honor and glory and power. For thou hast created all things for thy pleasure. And, O Lord, grant us that we 
might give thee the glory due unto thy holy name. Amen. Amen. In Romans chapter 15, I want to begin reading at verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. That verse tells you Jesus was sent to Israel. The next verse. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles, and sing unto thy name. Amen. And again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. Amen. And again, Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. Amen. Brethren, those words are to you and to me that Psalm 100 is for us. Amen. It was pitifully done when it was led by David and Asaph under the Old Covenant. It's much better done in the New Testament where we know the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Amen. Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. Are you a servant this morning? Amen. Do you want to serve him? Right. When we serve someone, we wait on them and do anything we can to please them. Do you want to serve the Lord this morning? Do you know how he wants to be served? He's about to tell us. He's already told us a little. He wants a joyful noise made unto him from our lips. Amen. Most men in our nation use their lips to curse in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. They have their GD. And where I came from, they have their JC that they spit out as an oath for any cause. But he loves to hear from our lips the blessings and praise due to his glorious name. Amen. That's how we can serve him. It says serve the Lord. Notice we have the Lord again. We're not serving a church. We're not serving a pastor. We're not serving a pope. We're not serving an apostle. We're not serving apostles. We're not serving anything but the Lord himself. I am simply his servant to help you serve him. And may the Lord bless us together to serve him acceptably. But it says Amen. to serve the Lord with gladness. Are you glad this morning to be here? Amen. I'll bet if you ask those 600 soldiers, were they glad that they were in the chosen number, that they'd probably have a facial reaction, Amen. probably have a verbal reaction that they were glad to have been there when the president burst in to be with them for Thanksgiving dinner. Are you thankful and are you glad in your heart to be in the house of God and to worship him? Amen. This is a blessed privilege. It says, serve the Lord with gladness. I must read to you a horrifying passage from Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy 28 about gladness. Deuteronomy 28, I'm going to read verses 47 and 48. Deuteronomy 28, 47 and 48. Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things, 
Therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he have destroyed thee. Look at those two verses. The Lord God said, because you didn't serve me joyfully and with gladness, I will crush you until I have destroyed you. Right. That is how important it is that we serve him with gladness. Amen. Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer. In the first two verses of the second chapter of Nehemiah, he came before his king, and it says for the first time in his life, he was sad when he came before his king. And the king said to him, Nehemiah, what are you sad about today? And it says that he feared greatly. Now this was a man of God who feared God greatly. But when the king asked, why are you sad? He feared greatly for his own life. Because a king didn't put up with unhappy servants. If you didn't consider it a privilege and a blessing to serve your king, then he would cut your head off. And maybe you could find happiness in the life after. He just got rid of you. And see, I love rulers like that. I wish we had one like that. Maybe it would help you be a little more excited when you come into the worship of God. But he was sad. And if you were sad, you just had a bag put over your head and you'd be let out and they'd get rid of your ugly face. If you want to drag around with your ugly face, you're a stench to men and you're a stench to God, and he will crush you. If you're wondering why everything you try to do, it doesn't work out, there's a reason. There's always a reason. You drag in here, the Most High is the one smiling. Because he says, wait till you see what you're able to accomplish. If you'll come in here and rejoice in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37.4. Serve the Lord with gladness. If a king who is born the same way we are, like a wild ass's colt, who's as much a sinner as we are, who truly is not all that different in many respects, if he is worthy of glad service, how much more is the Lord of hosts? How much more is Lord of hosts? Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence. Our blessed God is omnipresent. Children, we use a word sometimes, omnipresent. That means that God is present in all places at all times. God is everywhere. See, you're right there. You are not over here. You are there. You're not out there. You're right there. But God is there and there and out there because he's omnipresent. But there's, some, there's a value in these words for us. Come before his presence, because there is a place where God is to be worshipped. Right. I have heard men say, I don't need a church, because I worship God while I'm hunting. I don't need a church, I worship God on my motorcycle. I don't need a church, I worship God in my house. No, you don't. And no, you can't. Because that is not what God ordained under the old covenant 
or under the new covenant for his proper worship. Amen. He ordained a particular place. And was he ever particular about his place? And it was there that you would go to worship him. Right. That's why it says, come before his presence. If God is present everywhere, then you can worship him everywhere. But you cannot worship him everywhere in the spirit of Psalm 100. Because Psalm 100 is the public corporate worship of the great congregation that comes together to do it together with one another by which we exhort, provoke, and lift each other up in the worship of God. Listen, what president would be honored by a band with one member in it? What president would be honored by a choral group with one singer? We get as many together as we can. We fill the streets. It takes hours for them to pass. And so it is with the Lord of hosts. He has a great assembly. Do you know how many angels there are in that assembly? The Bible gives up. The Bible says there are 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Because it's a huge assembly. And he chose Israel. And they would come together at the tabernacle. They would come together at Solomon's temple. Jesus would come together. At feast days, Jesus would come together into the synagogue and they would worship corporately and publicly and together in an assembly. That is why we come here. This is why we have a church. This is why we're thankful for our church. Amen. He has not left us desolate. Right. If we were desolate, knew of no place to go, that is one thing. But when you know of a place to go and you do not come into his presence, then you are choosing not to worship him the way he has dictated. Right. Remember, it's his word that says, that we are not to be as others who forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Because it's where we assemble that Jesus Christ is worshipped. He walks among his golden candlesticks. And his golden candlesticks are his churches. Amen. That's where he walks. And that's why we want to come before his presence. We are the house of God. He indwells his churches by his Holy Spirit. This is his temple. That's what it's called in the New Testament. We do not need a temple of stone. All we need is a place where we can assemble, whether it's out in the woods like many of our ancestors in the faith, or whether it were the catacombs under the city of Rome, or whether it be in the school of one Tyrannus, or no matter where it might be. That is the presence of the Lord Amen. when we come together to worship him. Can you pray in private? Of course. Does he tell you to go into your closet? Yes. But this worship is corporate worship when we come and sing together and worship him with the whole, the whole congregation. Amen. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Singing. You say, God is so great. Doesn't he want more than that? Doesn't he want a great altar? Doesn't he want gold? Doesn't he want an organ? I think organ music is so beautiful, someone might say. Doesn't God want all of that in his worship? Look at what it says. Serve, come before his presence with singing. Singing is what God wants. He loves the articulation of words from our minds mixed with joy from our hearts that make the melody flowing out of our lips that make that thing we call singing. And he wants that under the New Testament as well as the Old. That's what the Lord God wants. There's two extremes. I have been part of 
some Baptists, that without saying it very often, they treated singing like a necessary evil, a part of the worship to get over with. That is not a man who knows the Lord God. That's not a man who's read the book of Revelation and seen what it's like in heaven. That is not a man like David. A man like David wants to sing because that is what God has asked for. And if you are truly happy and right with the Lord, you will want to sing. Because when you get excited, you like to sing. You have been excited with the world songs in your past lives. Military men like to sing while they march. And what a great sound it is. But may the people of God sing and lift up that noise to the Lord. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, it says of him, he sang in him and went out. Our Lord Jesus Christ on earth sang hymns. Now what's a hymn? It's a song of praise to God. Our Lord Jesus Christ sang. We want to be just like him. We want to be his true followers. And so we want to sing. This is what the New Testament tells us to do. Some people say singing's a necessary evil. Let's get it over with and get to the real part of the service. Other people make it their whole service. And they end up having a rock band or rap artists. You know, there's, there's Jesus rap now. There's Christian rap. Rap isn't singing. Rap is the chattering of chimpanzees and gorillas. It is not singing. Amen. Chanting, which some denominations do, is not singing. Right. Humming. I've been part of services where humming was done. That is not singing. Who cares about just the melody? We want the words Amen. because we are to sing with the spirit and we are to sing with the understanding. And you don't hum that way. You sing that way. And so we, we look at this verse and we see that the Lord wants us to come before him with singing. And that's why we practice singing. Singing articulates specific words with a melodic sound. And that's what singing truly is. And so there comes out of us the joy of wanting to make that melodic sound and the mind that is forming the articulation of words with which we are thankful in very specific terms as to why we love and adore our great God that is singing. Yeah. And that's what the Lord asks for from us. We sing a cappella because that's what the Bible tells us to do. Every occurrence of music in the New Testament, we find it is singing only. There's never the occurrence of playing, no instrument, it is only singing. People hear our position on this subject and say that church is crazy. Well, you just remind them that 200 years ago, no matter what church they went to, unless it was the Catholics, they all sang a cappella. Every single church in this country sang a cappella 200 years ago. And even if they're Catholics, 400 years ago, all Catholics sang a cappella without instrumentation. They are the innovators. We are holding the position of the apostles. Instrumentation was never used in a New Testament service because it is so carnal, it is so fleshly, and it appeals to the body, not to the spirit and the understanding that words appeal to. Of course you can get lifted up with organ music. I'll take you to a rock concert and I'll get you very lifted up. The who can usually, can usually 
energize any crowd. They'll turn a crowd into a riotous mob. How do they do that? With the power of a beat and the power of music. But we don't sing with those dead instruments making noise. We sing from our hearts with the articulation of words that are meaningful to us about our great God, and that is what he wants. Amen. And I will tell anybody listening to this tape, and I want you to remember, all of you brothers and sisters here, that when somebody questions how strict we are being on a point like this, remind them of some of those holy examples we have in the Old Testament, right. like David, who tried to move the Ark of the Covenant with the best of motives, but God killed a man because he didn't follow the due order. Amen. There is a due order for doing things, and the due order is right here. It's singing, and it's confirmed in the New Testament. Right. We come before his presence with singing. Verse 3, know ye that the Lord, he is God. Amen. Our religion is one based on knowledge. It's not based on feelings. It's one based on knowledge. Look what it says. Know ye. Brethren, you're, su you're supposed to know something. Know ye. You're supposed to know something. Our worship of him is only acceptable if we do it with knowledge. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. Amen. That's what we're supposed to know. That Jehovah is God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that in them is, and there is no other God. Amen. He looked for other gods and could find none. Right. He said, I am the Lord, and there is none else. Amen. He is Jehovah God. We know who Allah is. We know who Allah is. You may look it up anywhere you wish, in an encyclopedia, or you may look it up on the internet. Allah is the ancient moon god of the Arabians. Allah was worshipped as the moon god, a superior deity to Arabians, because they didn't like the sun that much, because it's a little too hot in Arabia. So the moon god was their principal deity, and they worshipped Allah, the moon god, long before Muhammad in the 8th century. You say, prove it, okay? Go look at any mosque and tell me what sits on top of that mosque. Is there a crescent moon on top of that mosque? Right. Or am I lying to you? What is the shape of a Muslim sword? A crescent moon. What are the symbols on their flags? Have you ever looked at them? The crescent moon and the three star daughters of Allah, their principal deity. We don't worship Allah. Right, amen. And while I have said many good things this morning about our president, it is a disgrace, it is a shame. too much and looked up and saw the crescent moon and thought that was their God and bowed down and worshiped it. Jehovah is the creator of heaven and earth. Yeah. And yes, we will stand by that. And yes, if we're ever forced at the point of a curved sword to recant that, we will not. Amen. Jehovah is God. Right. Know ye that the Lord, and we have that all capitalized Lord once again, know ye that the Lord, he is God. You know, they have, to, they have to convert and they have to evangelize with a sword because who else would ever believe 
an illiterate whoremonger like Muhammad trying to present a moon god as an object of worship and have their holy place, a little town called Mecca, where they all go and worship a meteorite called the Kaaba and think that Abraham took Ishmael down there and that's where the true worship of Allah was ordained. Now that's somebody that does that's very confused. We have the word of God and it answers everything and I've preached to you numerous messages about why we believe the Bible to be the word of God, but we know that Jehovah is the God. Amen. Know ye the Lord, he is God. It is not Allah and it certainly isn't Vishnu, Brahma, and Shiva of the Hindus. All you have to do is look at that nation and realize there are some very ignorant people in this world. All you have to do is look at India and know they have no light. All you have to do is take a tourist trip over there, grab a National Geographic, or learn anything about the nation of India, and you realize they are in gross darkness. Amen. Bathing in the filthiest river known to man called the Ganges, thinking that is going to help them. Believing that those cows wandering their streets and spreading disease are Uncle Ralph and Aunt Sally. The doctrine of reincarnation and their millions of gods. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. Amen. Our religion is based on knowledge. And so we preach and we teach. We do not come in here and just chant. I do not walk around you like the Russian Orthodox, swinging a little pot of gold that has incense coming out of it. And you, make, you get this warm, fuzzy feeling that God must be here because you can see smoke. Nothing else happens in their service, and you got to stand. So be thankful that you get to sit in our assemblies. You get to stand for an hour while they twirl smoke around you. Know ye that the Lord, he is God, and he's told us how to come and worship him. Right. And because knowledge is so important, we teach, we preach. What is an assembly to include? Preach the word. Because the, my people must be fed with knowledge. They must be taught the truth. And so we have a religion based on a book that teaches us things about the holy God that created us, who saved us, and before whom we shall give an account of our lives. And his name is Jehovah, and his son is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. We know that Jesus of Nazareth is that blessed and only potentate. Right. And he is our God and our Lord. It is he that hath made us. We are creatures. Why is this brought into a short psalm on praise? Because we are creatures. We are the clay, and he is the potter. And he has fashioned us for himself and for his own glory. And if we neglect that at all, we are disrespectful clay. And if you were the potter, and the clay was disrespectful to you, what would you do to it? I'd dump it back in a pail and add water until it became slime. And then I'd throw it out in the street. What would you do if the clay was disrespectful to you when you were the potter? You were fashioning it on the spinning wheel, and it stood up and said, I hate you. It stood up and said, I'm not going to be what you want to make. It stood up and said, I don't want to give you your place as the potter. What would you do to that clay? Fling it against the wall? make it without arms, turn it upside down, dash it like a potter's vessel, 
with a rod of iron, what would you do to it? It is he that hath made us. God is our creator. And I want to remind you this simply how sovereign he is. Have you had pain in your life? Did he know you were going to have pain in your life? Did he ever ask you if you wanted to exist before he brought you into existence? We have never met a being even close to him. I think that is horribly unfair. I speak as a fool. I think it is horribly unfair that God was without asking me if I wanted to exist. It is not fair that he would give me existence that I cannot turn off. And I shall face eternal consequences for how I conduct myself. That is not fair. He should have asked me first. Do you know how great that is? And our world has forgotten that sovereignty of that God. That is how great Jehovah is. It is he that hath made us. He didn't ask you how you wanted to be made. He didn't even ask you if you wanted to be made. He didn't ask you how tall, how intelligent, what generation, what family, what nation. He didn't ask you any of those things. It is he that hath made us. You better bow yourself before a potter with that kind of power and praise him, and you ought to do it joyfully because he said to do it joyfully. And brethren, if we look around, he made an awfully lot of great choices for all of us. Amen. For every bad one that you tell me about in your life, I will tell you ten that are good. I will bury you with the goodness of the Lord. Amen. He has made wonderful choices for us. Praise his holy name. Amen. It is he that hath made us. We reject evolution in part or in whole, deistic evolution or any other kind of evolution as blasphemous tripe. If you undermine creation at all, you overthrow the proper worship of God because he is to be worshiped as a creator. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us. We have a personal creator. He he has made us and not we ourselves. Do you know there are men that think they are self-made men? Self-made men. There is no such thing as a self-made man. Everything you have is by the providential mercy of God. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, Why in the world would you ever boast as if you've done anything when what you have you received as a gift from heaven? You are nothing without him. It is time and chance. The battle is not to the strong. The race is not to the swift. Riches are not to the wise. Time and chance happeneth to them all. And it is all by the control of our sovereign God. This is the truth of God's word. This is what you should know. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. And then there are those that think they have made themselves his children. They think that by a choice they have made, they have become a child of God. They think by a choice they have made, they have regenerated themselves by cooperating with him. They think by a choice they have made, their name is written in the book of life. And the Bible says... It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. The Lord God made those choices for you. He is the one that chose to regenerate you. If you even have a heart toward worshiping him, 
It's because of his mercy and grace in your life and his sovereign power of overcoming your wicked will that would have ignored him. Amen. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. There is no worship in our natural heart. Right. Our natural heart wants to run and hide in the trees of the garden. Our natural heart wants to bring of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Our natural heart wants to kill anyone that is good and faithful like Abel. Right. God has to change our hearts, and he did. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves, even in our total spiritual being. It is he that has given us a desire toward him. Amen. We are his people. If he is the sovereign potter and we are the clay, then obviously we are his people. By simple extension, who art thou, O man, that should reply against God? Because he's made us. We have not made him, and we have not made ourselves. We are his people. He has fashioned us into people that want to worship him. God told Israel, I loved you, and I chose you, not because you were more than any people, but because you were the fewest of all people, and I loved you, because I loved you. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, Amen. and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. The Lord God said of Israel, of all the families of the earth, I have only known you. That is God's special selection of his people. God redeemed those people out of Israel, but brethren, God has redeemed us out of hell. Right. He sent Moses to redeem Israel out of Egypt. He sent Jesus Christ to redeem us from our sins. Amen. The angel told Joseph, the supposed father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Amen. We are his people. Right. We are his people because he chose us to be his people. We are his people because he bought us to be his people. We are his people. We are not just his creatures. We are not just his vessels. We are his people. And do you know what the New Testament tells us? We are his peculiar people. Peculiar means special, personal people. And do you know why we're chosen to be his peculiar people? That we might show forth his praise. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 tells us. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. You know, to be called sheep is not a very noble name. They're not very powerful. They're not very glorious. In fact, they're very helpless. But we are the sheep of his pasture. Amen. And see in that little expression right there, our utter dependence upon the shepherd. If the shepherd leaves the sheep, they die. They fall down a cliff. They die from disease because of not eating the right food. Or they die from wolves. They die. But we are the sheep of his pasture. And hasn't he taken wonderful care of us? Amen. Has he sought us when we were lost? Has he fed us when we were hungry? Right. Has he protected us when we had enemies? Amen. We are the sheep of his pasture. He has been a wonderful shepherd to us. And of course, being on this side of the New Testament, we know that Jesus Christ is our great shepherd. He gives his life for his sheep. That's truly being the sheep of his pasture, when a shepherd will die for his sheep. 
And he Amen. says, I will not lose a single one of them. Amen. That is a great shepherd. Amen. I love being in that pasture. Thank you, Lord. Not a one will be lost. Amen. Right. Verse 4, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Under the old covenant, they had a temple, and the temple had gates, and the temple had courts. They could not go into the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, but they could enter into his courts by way of his gates. And so we have a reference here to gates and courts, because a temple has gates and courts. But don't forget, when we're reading an Old Testament verse like this, we are part of a New Testament church that is called the Temple of the Living God. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us it is the temple of God in which he dwells by his spirit. So we have gates and courts as well that we come together whenever we come for an assembly. And so it says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Don't ever think about coming to worship God without being thankful. And beyond that, of giving thanks. Because he expects us to be a thanksgiving people. In everything... Give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Amen. The true saints of God are very thankful people, and they are not only thankful in here, they are not only thankful here, they are thankful here by giving thanks. It is not enough to feel thankful. It's not enough to believe that you are. It's not enough to say that you are. Do you give thanks? Do you use this same mouth to give thanks to his name for all that he has done for you. How many verses could we look at that teach us that giving thanks is a priority of our worship? We offer sacrifices by our lips. We give him calves here of our lips rather than calves that are so much easier to give. He wants our thanksgiving. And so it says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. When we come into an assembly before this Lord that we know is God, we want to come with thanksgiving. And it says, into his courts with praise. Praise is to tell or proclaim or commend the worth or value, the excellence or the merits of something. It's to express warm approval of it, to speak highly of it, to laud it, to extol it. And that's what we want to do to God when we come here. We want to praise him. We want to lift him up and tell him of his excellent greatness Amen. as we sing in one of our songs. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. This is how we better come. It has told us to be joyful. It has told us to come with singing. It has told us to come thankful and giving thanks. And it tells us to come bringing praise. If you do not come that way, your worship is unacceptable. Because this is the due order. This is what he's expecting from us. And not to come this way is to make our worship vain. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. When we bless someone like the Lord God, we call him holy. We extol him. We praise him. We adore him as holy, as worthy of our reverence. And we, make, we give thanksgiving and we acknowledge his gracious benefits benefits and kindness toward us when we bless God. And so it tells us, bless his name. Let me, let me remind you about David. The, the difference between David and Saul is the difference between night and day. Amen. God save us.
from any Saul's. David, last Sunday we read Psalm 42. He spoke to himself, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? But that's not the only way David spoke to himself. He also said, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Amen. He talked to himself, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Those words are David telling himself, Bless the Lord. You should be telling yourself, when you come into the worship of God, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. I want to get to the assembly where I can bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. That is talking to yourself, reminding yourself that you ought to bless the Lord. Just as you ought to examine yourself as David did, why art thou cast down, oh my soul? Hope thou in God, for he shall yet be the joy and the light of thy countenance. Bless the Lord, O my soul. We have in verse 4, telling us to be thankful unto him and to bless his name. Now, brethren, why should you make a joyful noise unto the Lord? Why should you serve him with gladness? Why should you come before him with singing? Why should you enter his gates with thanksgiving? Why should you enter his courts with praise? Why should you be thankful unto him? Why should you bless his name? The fifth verse is going to tell us Amen. three things for which we do all of that. For the Lord is good. Amen. Amen. I am bad, but the Lord is good. He has always been good to me in spite of myself. He has been so good to me. Do all of you believe that? Amen. For the Lord is good. His goodness is over his whole creation. His goodness is in our church. He has goodness in our families. He has goodness in our souls. For the Lord is good. Why do we want to do all of these things? For the Lord is good. When we sing it from that Psalter, the fourth stanza begins with, For why? For why is praise so comely from the fourth verse? Why is it such a wonderful thing to bless the Lord? For why? It says, Because the Lord our God is good. Amen. And here we're told about his goodness. A lawyer once came to our Lord Jesus Christ and called Jesus good. And Jesus said, there's only one good, Amen. and that's God. Amen. God is good. Now to repeat that goofy little prayer without your, without your understanding being totally in it, it's worthless tripe. It's Roman Catholic invention. You don't say prayers. You pray. Nowhere in the Bible did anybody say a prayer. You pray. Because when you just make the noise of the words with your mouths, God doesn't hear it. That's the vain repetition of the heathen. He expects us to talk to him intelligently. Can I prove it with the Bible? 1 Corinthians 14, 15. I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the understanding. I will not pray with the memory. I will pray with the understanding. I will not pray a prayer. I will pray with the understanding. I will reason, and I will talk to the Lord, as all prayers in the Bible are. 
There is no form prayer. We don't just quote the Lord's Prayer and think that we've made any progress with the Lord. That is simply a sample prayer of how we ought to pray. But the Lord is good. God is good. Any goodness in your life is straight from your Heavenly Father. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Why do we do all this praise? For the Lord our God is good. But it says more than that. Not only has he been good to us, it says his mercy is everlasting. Amen. Why should you make a joyful noise unto the Lord? Serve him with gladness. Come before him with singing. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Why should you do those things? Because his mercy is everlasting. A few weeks ago, we took Psalm 136, every verse of which says, For his mercy endureth forever. Jehoshaphat went into battle against a very numerous host by putting singers out in front of the army, and they praised the Lord and said, For his mercy endureth forever. And the enemy melted away and killed themselves, and they found dead bodies, and it took them three days to gather up all the spoil because they praised the Lord by singing, his mercy endureth forever. Amen. Are you glad that his mercy endures forever? Amen. If it ever runs out, at the instant that it runs out, you will drop straight into hell. But his mercy is everlasting. Has he been merciful to you in the past? Amen. Do you know he's been merciful to you in the past? Right. I can promise you he'll be merciful to you in the future. Because his mercy is everlasting. Our blessed God keeps covenant mercy to a thousand generations. It goes on to say in this fifth verse, and his truth endureth to all generations. I'm thankful for his truth enduring to all generations. Do you know how truthful God is? He cannot lie. There are some things God cannot do. God cannot lie. I'm thankful for that one thing he cannot do. He cannot lie. But when he wanted to tell me that he had saved me, he first of all promised it. God, that cannot lie, promised eternal life before the world began. Titus 1-2. Then, just in case I might have doubts, he swore with an oath. And since he could swear by no one higher than himself, he swore by himself, Amen. saying, Surely, blessing, I will bless thee. And so we read in Hebrews chapter 6, so that we, we, this church, can flee to a refuge and have a place to hide that is sure through all the storms of life, God that cannot lie promised and swore so that we would have an anchor for our souls Amen. to have run for those who have run to him for refuge. He is our shelter in the time of storm, and he will be our shelter in the great day of judgment. But he swore and he promised his truth endureth to all generations. Amen. His truth that he's given us in his precious word is settled forever in heaven. We have the answer to all the dilemmas and questions of men and the questions they couldn't even think of asking. We have answered right here in the precious word of God. And it endures forever. For those reasons, we have truth. We are not worshiping the stump of a tree. We are not worshiping Allah. We are not confused about what we ought to do this morning. We are not confused about the personal identity of Jesus Christ. Right. 
We are not confused about how our names get in the book of life. We are not confused about what role the Pope of Rome has. We know the truth of God's word, and it endures forever. Every word of God is pure. There is nothing forward or perverse in them. Amen. It's the only book in the whole world in which there is no confusion or contradiction, and God's given it to us forever. Right. I'd like you to look in your Bibles and see the glory of God in Exodus 34. I'd like you to come to Exodus 34 and see that what I have just shown you is nothing different than what Moses saw when Moses begged God to do a favor for him. Right. What I've just shown you from the fifth verse is that there are three reasons why we ought to praise and worship God, why we ought to make a joyful noise unto him. We have seen that he is good. We have seen that his mercy is everlasting. And we've seen that his truth endureth forever. Amen. These are the things of God that he wants you to know about him. When Moses said, if you're going to go with me, and if I have found favor in thy sight, show me thy glory. Show me thy glory. The Lord God answered and said, if I were to show you my glory, you'd die. Show me a little bit of your glory. And God said, okay, I'm going to hide you in a cleft of the rock, and I'm going to pass by before you, and I'm going to show you my backsides. I'll show you a little bit of me that you can bear. And you can read about it in Exodus 34. And I want to read you two verses of it and see if it doesn't match Psalm 150 and verse 5 perfectly. What are the three reasons that we are given in Psalm 100 and verse 5 for why we ought to praise the Lord? He is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endureth forever. Verse 5 of Exodus 34. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the ground and worshiped. I want you to see by going back into the middle of verse 6, when the Lord wants to show his glory, what does he show? What does he proclaim about himself? This is what he wants you to know. He's merciful and gracious. Does that match Psalm 100 verse 5? His mercy is everlasting. Look what it says. Merciful, gracious, long-suffering, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But it also said in Psalm 100 that he was good. What does it say here when God wanted to reveal his glory? Abundant in goodness. Amen. And then it said, his truth endureth forever. Yes. He is abundant in truth. Our Lord Jesus Christ, do you know what a couple of his names are? True and faithful. Amen. He is the only true and faithful witness. Right. And he will give witness in that day that he died for us. Are you glad his truth endureth forever? Amen. This is the glory of God. This is what we worship 
when we use Psalm 100. This is what the Lord expects from us. Today's been simple. We come together to worship him, and this is how we do it. This is the prescription. This is from the manual that God's given us on how he wants to be worshiped. All rise with me, and let us read together Psalm 100 again. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Amen. Now we shall sing it. According to your promise, they shall all be taught of God. Amen. That thou, Lord, art God alone, and there is no other. Amen. This day we have offered up to thee our thanksgiving and our praise, and we have blessed thy name 
and we have made the joyful noise. Sanctify and cleanse all that we have done yes. under the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, Amen. who died for our sins to purge our worship, yes. that it might be acceptable to thee, O Lord God, our Father. Receive this sacrifice from our lips, have mercy upon us, and teach us to worship and praise thee even better. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>